as we listen to your word this morning, may you speak explicitly to us in language that we understand, so that we live according to your word and press into deeper communion with you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. I want to appreciate the Lord for this day, for the opportunity to give us yet another chance to hear from Him. We thank Him for the rain. We thank Him for life. We thank Him above every other thing that we are children of God. At least this morning, we are not in Biafalo or one useless place like that, but we are in the house of the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we are going to talk about pressing deeper into deeper communion with God. And we've read our text this morning from Psalm chapter 27. But our main text is going to be on the chapter 73, verse 17, and then 23 to 25. But for the message to make a full meaning, it is expedient that we go through the whole chapter so that we will notice what was in the mind of the psalmist. This particular psalm is ascribed to Asaph. Asaph is a musician. He is the leader of the temple choir during the time of David. If you search your scriptures, it's there. He even transcends into the time of Solomon. He is somebody that has known the status of God. He is not a novice. So we are talking about somebody that in this our time will say that he's a Christian. He was seeing things that baffled him, just like it is to us these days. Things that you cannot explain. Let me read the chapter once again. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such are of pure heart. But as for me, my feet almost gone. My step had well nigh slipped, that his step nearly slipped. He nearly committed an abomination. For I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, just like this happening around us now. For there are no bands in their death. No, no, their death seem to be so calm. But their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Not, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence cover them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither, and water of and water of full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world, but they increase in riches. 
Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain. That's one of his regrets. I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long have I been plagued and tested every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I shall offend against the generation of my of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was painful to me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood their end. This is one of our main verse today. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casted them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terror. As a dream when one walk awaked, so, O Lord, when thou awakened, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my God was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I continually, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou hast guided me with thy counsel. counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory, whom I have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart, and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee, far from thee, shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all of them that go a warring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy word. Praise the Lord. So this is something he wrote in retrospect. After looking at the whole thing, if you pick one verse there, it will make full sense. But if you go through it, initially he glorified God, showing that he has a knowledge of God. But then, he said he nearly slipped after correcting himself from his mistake. And these are things happening around us now when we see the prosperity of the wicked. You see people that don't follow the right entrepreneurial principle. And they are prospering. And you will see yourself suffering challenges and other stuff. But these people, they, they do less to get more. When we look around us these days, you see children less than 20 years driving this Mercedes Jeep that one day I went to there to scan and to price the car. And the cheapest I got was $8 million. That's 8 million, I think it was 2005 model or something like that. You start asking yourself questions. You go to shop right, you see small children with their trousers almost down to their knees. And if by adventure you are unlucky to have one of them as a cousin, when they come to visit you, they will disgrace you. You will always be hearing, Uncle, this one, Uncle, this one, because the quantity of gifts they will bring for your children. In five years, if they gather everything you've given to your kids, 
he wouldn't have been up to that. In offices, people are dubious, doing one thing or the other. You see them moving on, promotion, building houses. And these are people where you calculate their salary. That if you calculate it 15, 20 years, it won't have given them what they've amassed within two or three years. The same thing in businesses. And then you as a Christian maintaining heavenly principles. And then you start asking yourself questions. You start asking what is really going on. If you look at the verse 1 to 12 there, the, the psalmist was troubled. He was asking questions. And you know, some of us have this principle that when you become a Christian, everything will be happily ever after, no challenge. God said that he will bless the work of our hands. Yes. And that we shall be the head and not the tail. Because many of us, we are really very ch shallow. And when you see the prosperity of the wicked, you start really asking questions, what is actually going on? Is it in school? You see people go to exam, do one or two things. They are moving on. And you, you have to sweat before you pass through a stage. And if you are not standing firm, if you have not really known the word of the Lord, sometimes your faith may be shaken. Sometimes you might sleep, just like the psalmist said, he nearly slept. But then, I thank God that along the line, when all these things were troubling him, that he had an encounter. He went to God's school and learned his word. And the Holy Spirit ordered things justly and wisely for him. He said until. And if you look from that verse 17, his tone of writing changed. His proclamation changed. What he wrote from verse 2 down to that 12, and what he wrote from that 17, they are quite different. From verse 17, he is talking like somebody that is worded, that have ingested the word of God. Somebody that have gotten illumination. Somebody that have really tapped into the mystery of God. Things of God. And this is the challenge we Christians have these days. We work out things with our worldly wisdom. We, we do things with our senses, our five senses. Things that we see, things that we hear, things that we test, things that we feel. And when you kind of base on these physical things, the spiritual aspect goes down. That's why when the Bible said oh, that we we'll walk by faith and not by sight. Because what you are seeing, sometimes maybe saying something else. But if your faith stands firm, you will be saying something. And when your faith is strong on something, you will that thing to happen. Because of what? You not believe in your five senses. 
you are communicating at a different level, not the level of the physical. Until he went into deep reflection, he had to set himself apart to really ask God. Yes, there are situations in the Bible where people have to sit down and ask God, Chineke Obuzbai, is it not this thing that you say? People can tell God, I need an answer. It's not a good prayer. It's a prayer that you have to set apart. When we look at First Samuel, um, the first chapter there, 12 to 13, we remember about Anna. Anna. When they went to Shiloh, others were just eating and then she was bitter. She had to set herself apart and enter the temple and was relating at the highest level anyone will relate to God. And that moment she made a vow and entered into covenant with God. And after that she came out knowing that she smelled the Lord. And then the prophet of God who thought she was, she was drunk have to affirm her hard desires. And lo and behold, the next day she was coming. She came with a baby. Till we get to that level, you can't have deeper communion with God. Yes, we will pray, we will worship God, we will sing, we will do everything. But then, there needs to be that a step further, moving further, beyond that which is very physical. Before you press deeper into communion of God, communion here, you know when you talk about communion, our mind will only go to Holy Communion, which is, yes, dining at the table of God. But communion here means communing, communing, relating with God, sharing deeper fellowship or relationship, a sacred and sacrosanct relationship that is just between you alone and God. To commune means basically, in this instance, to mean to focus only on God and nobody else. All your direction, everything. You talk with profound intensity, as if anything around you is inconsequential. Till you get to that level whereby you have to sit down. That's why some people will tell you that they have set apart. Yes, set apart where they will not be disturbed. Put off their phone, go with their Bible, and then enter wrestling with God, just like Jacob. And as a child of God, when you engage God, you have an answer. When you engage God sincerely, with the right sense of purpose and heart, God obviously will not desert you. It is an intimate, intimate communication or rapport, as sharing your heart and mind with God, especially in prayers. Like here, the word sanctuary was used because it's an Old Testament. And sanctuary in Hebrew is mainly where the book of law was, will be laid up, from which oracles of heaven were obtained. In oracles of heaven here, we talk about will of God. Another word for sanctuary, you hear when they say holy of holies. The holiest part of the temple. 
where the Ark of the Covenant is laid with the Ten Commandments and everything. But we are lucky in our own era that we don't need to go to the temple. But we need to just set ourselves apart from all the distractions, from every other thing, and give God your attention. Many of us that are doing adult education will know what I mean. If you sit down to read 30 minutes, a lot of you can concentrate 30 minutes. Either you remember that this thing has finished, you have not called this person or this person. So when some of us are struggling as adults in school, not that we don't know who, but the distraction is really getting out of hand. And you don't need this kind of distraction when you want to engage God at the highest level. Everything you have to shut them down. Especially our phone, which is now becoming the highest cause of distraction to all of us. If you don't use your phone for one day, you will not die. That's the simple truth. When my phone entered water, I was worried for the first two, three hours. After that, I had peace. And I, I was able to take siesta for a very long time. And the next day, I was reluctant to even go and repair the phone. And I know that people that will get to you must always get to you. They will get to you through your wife or your friend. That is the simple truth. So sometimes we are so distracted, you wake up in the morning. I know how many times before now I have to say my prayer on this chairing. And I believe that God will understand my schedule. I know how many times I have to tell my family. And as head of the family, I will not be disobeyed. I'm sorry to say that, but it does happen. That is not how to get into deeper communion with God. One, it has to be very purposeful. You have to set out time. You have to shut out everything. And when you shut out and make that sacrifice, and God knows that you make out the sacrifice for Him, that you want to come home with Him, you want to hear Him, you want to relate with Him, I'm telling you, that time you are going to spend is not going to be in vain. Even in the Bible, we have places, even Jesus, the Son of God, when He was man, He has to withdraw to lonely places. Sometimes mountain. He has to go and get the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He has to go and get inspiration from his Father. Many of us, especially the church leaders, servants of God, that is their greatest problem. Because they never really take time, especially many Christians, we never really take time to draw back and set on times, and even reflect on our life, and even reassess our relationship. And then think about our first ministry. They will tell you that it's the devil that is affected, pastors, children, and priest children. Sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not true. But sometimes many Christians fail in their families. Three other things first, and forget their families. They're always on the move, believing that the woman will always cover up. 
But not knowing that God created father and mother to be parents, he is not stupid. That everybody has his role. That's why a lot of men of God children end up not being good. You check the Bible, is there Aaron, Samuel? There are too many of them. It's not good, it's not bad to do work of the Lord wholeheartedly. But you still have a first ministry that God has given unto you, and that's your family. But you should not just indulge in your family. And where do you get all these things? If you are moving, you don't see. But when you sit down and reflect, and God will expose a lot of things ordinarily, you couldn't have on your own sat down to think about. Meditations are done in the sanctuary to view divine secrets, consult the word of the Lord. And in the sanctuary, you leave things of the senses. You convert it into the invisible. Things that are not just physical. A lot of biblical principles, Christians have challenges with them because of what? They don't have physical analogy and the way we perceive them. Our perception, when you talk about Trinity, nobody, no matter what you try, it's only by the Spirit of God you have the revelation to understand certain mysteries. If you go about it with physical analogy, you end up just arguing and arguing, and that will not be resolved. In sanctuary, orderliness, disorderliness is resolved into harmony. If you have a certain apart and you seek the face of God, there is one characteristic, just like Hannah. Where you come out, you come out with peace. The irony of the whole thing is that sometimes the problem has not been solved, but God gives you another perspective about your challenge. He showed you something you've not looked at. The problem was maybe there. But what does it mean? Now you are seeing that challenge or problem differently. And it won't be the way you were seeing it before you enter into the presence of God to come in with, God, with the Lord. He said that when I enter the sanctuary, then I understand their end. He was seeing that moment. What is happening around us in in us? But we don't think beyond that. We don't think about the end. I've been privileged to grow up in an environment when all this 419 started. Around my town, we have one or two or three of them. If you come home for Christmas, you see people spraying money. See that one young man as somebody, why could you work as one no there? Even police, they were fighting for money. I saw something, they throw bundle of money and they are throwing. You see that people can they can do flying saucers. You see people going up. One of them was just down there waiting for the other guy that grabbed as he's coming back. He took his eyes, collect the money. That was a situation I grew up. But that was how many years ago? About twenty something years ago. Now those people if you look at their end, you will marvel. If you are going to Anicha, there is a place called Okuzo. There was a house there at that Joshua glass house that people go and look at that house. Then, 
But when I pass there now, it's students of Anambra State University that are living in that house. I will just say, what's this? Why was all this whole thing? And there are so many of them look at their end. But at that moment, when all those things were happening, we are using our physical senses. There was one car then, if you see it now in the scrap, that was, was 1988. I saw it's 8788, one Pontiac. Then, if you see this car, we see there's one car, somebody is driving his glass. And when you look at that car now, even if it's a taxi, you may not enter it. So this is a challenge we Christians of this period we have. We look at the prosperity of this moment. So what does that mean? We are seeing in parts. And it's only the Holy Spirit revelation that will show you hope. Meaning show you from the beginning to the end. We are limited by our senses because we don't see beyond our nose. So the psalmist have to go into the sanctuary, enter. It was not explicit how many days, how he did it. But what sanctuary represents at that moment is not something. It's all about holiness. It's all about seeking God alone. It's all about purifying yourself to get to that stage. It's all about focusing on God before you can see the end. But if we remain shallow Christians that are carried by the wiles and caprices of the enemy, you depend and you stop at the shallow level of your five senses, where sometimes you are being controlled by some intuitions. Do Christians really make out time to go deep? Or we just read the scripture without studying it? As a surgeon, I learned one thing. When you are taking what we call biopsy, biopsy is taking a part of a lesion. They say it is better that it is narrow, but let it be very deep to get through all the transitional layers so that it will help the histologist. But initially, we were thinking that the broader, the shallower, the wider it is, the better. No. So Christians have to imbibe the culture of digging deep. Digging beyond what is physical. Digging beyond. And as children of God, I tell you, there's a level you get to. Nothing will happen around you without God revealing it to you. You will see it either in dream or somebody around you. There will be a revelation. Even if that thing happen after prayer, it will be a sign that it could have been worse. We are so busy. We are so busy. We are so busy. We are too busy carrying out so many things and achieving nothing. And by the age of 60, we are getting dilapidated. That's why some people say you only see old people that are healthy in the village. There is truth, but half truth. If God means something to you, you must make out time for God. Otherwise, you repent at the level of grace. And for you to move to the level of extra grace, you have to seek God to get it. I call it the level of paying your school fees, struggle, paying rent, buy a car, and then manage one or two things. But to move, even in progress, it has to be decided by God. Because the Bible says every good and perfect can come from above. 
And we know that the enemy mimics every gift that is given by God. For you to pass a certain level in this life, go and mark it. It's either given to you by God or it's given to you by the devil. There is nothing in between. There is nothing in between. Otherwise, you keep on hovering around the level that God created me. I have his breath. I go to church. Then he will be giving you that level. And sometimes many of us don't live to fulfill our destiny. The other parts of the reading are the after the revelation, he understood things. He started writing about things. One of the tests that is in the, um, uh, the bulletin, verses 23 to 27, he said, he noticed that he is continually with God, that he has not slipped beyond that. But before then, he noticed that he was foolish even to think about that, that he was like an animal. He was like a beast. What is beast? Beast is animal that has, doesn't have, you just survive and eat, sleep, you know, nothing fruitful. You just depend at the basal level of existence. Just like every other creature. And most of the time, beasts are hunted for meat. They don't serve any other purpose. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me in glory. He now started thinking about the end. I will stay here. What is all about? Whether you are rich, you are having challenge, what is it? Where are we going to? Where are we going to end up? Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is, upon, there is none upon the earth where I desire beside thee. So he reorientated his thought pattern. He reorientated his existence on earth, knowing that our existence here on earth is just to please God and nothing again. God created us to please him, have a deeper communion and relationship with him. Despite the fact at the Garden of uh, Eden, that was spoiled. But then, along the line, we got lucky because of the love the Lord has for us and sent his son Jesus Christ to redeem us, to restore that same relationship. So that now we as a people, now are people that have hope. We must be submissively receiving God's teaching. And this will be through his word and through the Holy Spirit. And we know it's the only the Holy Spirit that illuminates the word of God. You read some things, you don't understand it. But another day, there is a mood you will be in. You read a particular scripture in the Bible. It makes a whole lot of meaning unto you. And you ask yourself, is it not this thing that I've been reading all this while? Why is it making this meaning to me? You can't read the Bible just like that and understand. You have to study and ask the Spirit of God to open your eyes. The Ethiopian eunuch was reading. He wasn't understanding. Till Philip came. Who has the spirit to explain what was written in the scripture? You may be carrying the Bible and reading just the letter, which kills. But the power of it will not be effective in our life. And we know what? We come with God. God is a spirit. And it's Holy Spirit that can talk to spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit of God... You can just be trying and be operating at the physical level. You cannot have a relationship with God. Man is made of three components. 
man because God breathed the breath of life into man. You are a spirit being that has a soul and lives in a body. And a lot of times the spirit and body, they are warring against themselves. And whichever one you allow to predominate controls you. That's why in instances when you are doing some things, there is always two voices. But when you get to a certain stage, one voice goes down. Like for the criminals, that voice of don't do, don't kill, is almost dead. But as a child of God, that other one will say do, no. You will be more sensitive to the urges of the Holy Spirit. The problem we have these days is that we are not sensitive because at each point in time, the Holy Spirit is directing his children, telling them, go this way, do this way. But he will say, but are you sensitive to it? Some will say that God don't talk to them. I say, if you've gotten to this level and you tell me that God does not talk to you, it's a lie. But God talks to us in different ways. Some God talks to them in dreams. Some God talks to them through people. Some they will pray and they will resolve on something. So, different ways. I used to have one car that was troubling me. I've changed the gearbox three times. And my wife was like, you have two cars, in this, you two wives in this house, sell one. I said, don't worry, I've not heard from God. The day I heard from God was in this MTN in ShopRite. They asked me, three people you call most. I said, my wife, my mechanic, and my electrician. It down on me that I have to sell that car. It just, the Holy Spirit just tell me that this car must go. And how I sell that car was like, uh, you want to see this car? I'm coming from it to look at it. Pay the guy called, I said, I'm on the road. Have you got a say Yes. I call my wife, please come to so and so place. We stand by the road, we transfer our things. I wave to the car, bye bye. I now have one wife. So God must be speaking to you one way or the other at a particular time. Except that sometimes we quench the spirit. We resist the spirit. We, 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 we kind of, how do I say, we, we get the spirit angry. And when you do that over time, he leaves you. We grieve the spirit because we are resistant for his passage to bring that needed change in our life. In Galatians 5.17, the Bible makes us to know about the challenges between the spirit and the body. And you have to be feeding the spirit constantly. You have to be giving the spirit constant food. If you are operating just at the level of the physical, even when the devil tempted Jesus Christ, he saw that he has fasted and that he was hungry. He told him, I will turn stone into bread. And he needed it at that time. That's why the enemy tempts you at your weakest point when you needed something so badly. But Jesus Christ told him one thing, that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that word is in the scripture. That's Matthew 4.4. 4. You have to be feeding. If you don't feed anything you have, is it animal or anything, even your child, the child will be malnourished. 
I remember one of the men's fellowship, I had this children problem that my first son then. The guy does not eat. He only drinks. And if you see that he will not drink, in one week you see him, he'll be like all these beggars at uh, Bisala Road, that side. Because immediately it will show on him. It was a problem till we entered prayer and along the line he started. So whatever it is, if you want to grow in spirit, you have to nourish the spirit with spiritual food. And that is the word of God. And when you nourish it and grow spiritually, your communication with God gets more efficient. It gets so deeper that at a time, you are here but you are not here. You are hearing and seeing things. Revelations are made to you that is not made to others. Any Christian that does not receive from God, check yourself. Especially things concerning you. Even if it is flashing, even if you are at the level of flash, you flash, you get it. Some of us, what we do, we have a note by our side. Sometimes if flash comes, wake up, we'll write it down. Because sometimes if you don't write it, it goes. But things around you as a child of God must be revealed to you. Things around you, your children, your business, whatever it is, there must be a revelation. There is no communion without revelation. And you cannot go deep if you are not engrafted into Christ. When we read John 15, Christ says he is the true vine and the vine dresser is, and we are a branch. And when you are a branch of things, the trunk feeds the branches. The trunk feeds the branches. So as a branch of a tree, the tree, the branches get their nutrition from the branch because the branch uh, from the trunk because the trunk is the one that has um, connection with the source of the food, which is in the ground. So the question here is: Are you have you been engrafted into Christ? Are you part of Christ's family? If you have not been, then it's a waste of time. That's the basis. Basis is first of all, get engrafted in Christ because of what he mediated this reconciliation. And everything has to be through him. He shed his blood, meet the requirement that we ordinarily on our own, who couldn't have met. And that gives us room to have direct communion with God. Before now, you go through the pastors, you go through the priests at the temple, where the Holy of Holies is separated. But on the cross, that curtain, that veil was turned into two, from the end up to the down. That now people have access to commune with God directly. So it's not something you can do alone. So this is yet another time. To ask ourselves this question, what is my stance with Christ? Where do I stand with him? Is Christ in me? Am I in Christ? Have I put my body, have I mortified my body and allowed Christ to take over and take control? Because without Christ taking control of your life, you only struggle. Your life is all about struggling. The struggling I mean here 
is struggling in your relationship, struggling in your Christian life. Not that you won't have a you have challenge. Ensure that you're a Christian wherever you are working, there will be bullets. Because of what you don't conform to the world's standard. So automatically the world will hate you and they won't like you. They will call you all names, they will call you Juman, they will call you Sabotoa. Whatever they like, they will call you. But you can only do that when you mortify your flesh and you allow Christ to take control of your life. So that you are seeing what they are not seeing. You are seeing the end. You are seeing, you are, you know, you are, you are at a point, but you are seeing where their destruction will be. Where they are going to end up. So, brethren, we must be born again. For you to assess the Holy of Holies, it has to be true Christ, and you have to be born again by the Spirit of God. For you to have that infilling of the Holy Spirit, to be directed, to be taught, to be guided. Otherwise, in this life, it will be ups and downs. That's why a lot of people give their life to Christ up to four or five times, and they think it's all about charity. It's all about my willpower. So I will tell you, you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling without reading the next verse after that. You cannot. It's impossible for you to work out your, your salvation alone. It's not just possible. Ask anybody that will tell you the truth. So at this moment, is there any of, here, any of us here? Not yet been engrafted into that body of Christ. You don't really have him. That you can always come to your Father through Jesus Christ. You cannot call this name effectively. When you call this name, it will be like the seven sons of Sceva. When they call, they say, yes, Christ I know, but you I don't know. So there is a power that is confirmed on sonship when you use a name if you are not, you can only mimic because there is always this, everything has fake. Everything has fake. Let us pray. Our prayer this morning that will ask God to prepare us in sanctuary. To make us, test us, try us, and see that we are true. There will be a living sanctuary for him. Let us ask the Lord in ways of falling short of his glory. In ways that will be so shallow. In ways that will be living on our senses alone. In ways we will be just nominal Christians. We go prayer meetings, go fellowship. Come to church. After that, we are done. Without even digging deeper to discover those mysteries. Those mysteries that are hidden from normal people. Those mysteries that make the difference. Those mysteries that can make us call Abba Father and things will be happening. Those mysteries that can make us, when we mention the name of Jesus, that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. Father, we thank you for your word that has gone forth. 
Lord, we receive this word and we commit ourselves no longer to be like beasts, but to enter into your sanctuary, enter into the place where you are, to see things the way you see them, to understand the final end of actions and lifestyles, and be people who do not betray your children, but reflect the life of Christ. Even in this perverse and warped generation, we will shine as lights. We will press towards the mark without our foot slipping in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.